You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's covering everything about Nick's upcoming season of The Bachelor. Now the man with all your spoilers and behind-the-scenes juice in Bachelor Nation. Here's Reality Steve. Welcome to the first Reality Steve podcast. I feel like I've been talking about this for months, but we finally got it off the ground. We are finally doing the first Reality Steve podcast. This is kind of a little bit of a test run. This is going to be different than the podcasts that are going to come at you weekly starting in January. Those are going to be kind of more of a recap along with reader emails and uh, possibly a guest, hopefully a guest every week. It all depends. I mean, this is an ever-changing product, but right now for this initial episode, I want to kind of do an introduction to myself and a kind of a history of spoilers in regards to The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and just the franchise in general. A lot of you may already know this. Some of you, a lot of this was covered in the New York Times piece that was done on me about a year ago. But for those who are new or for those who maybe never read the piece, I'm going to give you a little introduction about myself, who I am, what I'm about, and kind of along the lines of kind of where where this all came about. Where did Reality Steve start? When did it start? How did it start? Obviously, I'm not going to give up my sources and tell you how I get the information that I do. But for the most part, you're going to know uh, a little bit more about me and then kind of we're going to go over a history of the spoilers because next season is basically starting on in a few weeks on January 2nd, Monday, where The Bachelor always starts on the first Monday in January. At least it has for the last six or seven seasons. So basically, I just want to start with me because it is the Reality Steve podcast. So I guess I should talk about myself. I'm not very good at talking about myself. I'm better when people ask me questions, but I'll do my best to just kind of give you a little background on myself. Obviously, when I was in high school and in college, there was no social media, there was no Facebook, there was no blogging, there was no internet. So to say that I always wanted to be Reality Steve would be a flat-out lie. I had no idea. This kind of fell into my lap. Um, I knew I always liked to write, and it went back to about third grade when we just used to have creative writing classes. And I remember, you remember those choose your own adventure books. I used to write those just for fun. I mean, they were really stupid. I mean, we're talking like I had a paragraph on each page, but I was so into the whole, you can choose which page to go to. If you want Steve to, you know, go to the grocery store, turn to page six. If you want him to, uh, ride his bike home, go to page eight. Like that was, I know it started at an early age, but that's what I did. And that was like in, I think, third or fourth grade where I just loved Choose Your Own Adventure books. I was never much of a reader other than Choose Your Own Adventure books. I think I stopped reading when I got to about high school, but um, outside of required reading. But essentially, that's where it started. I've always liked to write. I don't know why. I just, I have. So I get to high school and I was a basketball player and I was, the best way to describe myself in basketball is this. I was one of those guys that was really good in high school, but peaked in high school and just wasn't made out for college basketball. I mean, could I have played Division three ball somewhere? And yeah, I could have, I think. Um, I was recruited to a couple of Division three schools, but I just didn't have the motivation 
to go play in a small school and in front of, you know, 50 people where it wasn't recognized. And it just, it wasn't for me. And I decided at some point that I was either going to walk on Division One basketball and make the team. And if I didn't, then I can at least say I tried. So my freshman year, I ended up attending um, SMU University in Dallas. And I walked onto the basketball team and I was cut three days in. And I was realized, I mean, I knew for the two months that we were working out before practice actually started that I wasn't big enough, fast enough, or strong enough to play Division One basketball. I just wasn't. And I, it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that first couple weeks that I was working out with the team. I was like, I'm not good enough. I was good in high school. Uh, I grew up in Orange County, California. Uh, I was top 100 seniors, I think, in my one magazine in my senior year. I was, you know, the captain of my team. I was um, went to a lot of camps and stuff like that. I was good, and I was kind of known in, in Orange County, but that's about as far as my basketball career extended. So once I got to college and my basketball career was over, which was after about three practices, uh, I was at SMU and I was miserable. I was away from home for the first time. And I just said, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like it here. I was 18. I had a girl back in California that I was still kind of pining over. And I just wasn't enjoying school and being away from home for the first time for an extended period of time. So what I did was, uh, during winter break of my freshman year of college, I went back to visit my best friend who went to Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. And I met him, hung out with him over Christmas break, and I had a lot more fun hanging out him in his dorm and on campus. And he's just like, at the end of the trip, he's like, why don't you just come here next year? I'm like, all right. And so the whole second semester, I knew I was transferring at the end of the year. Uh, whole second semester of my freshman year at SMU, I, I knew I was going to transfer to Loyola Marymount and be with my best friend. And... So I actually enjoyed it uh, a lot more the second semester. Don't know why, but I did. Maybe because I knew I was leaving. Uh, there were a lot of guys on my floor, my dorm room floor, that were leaving as well. So I think we all kind of uh, enjoyed second semester more when we had made up our minds that we weren't going to be there any longer. So uh, one thing growing up, and then once I got to California, one thing that was a big part of my life basically through senior year of high school through college was – uh, sports talk radio. I've, I've been a huge sports fan my whole life, and um, I uh, got a got really into the Jim Rome radio show based out of Southern California. I was a caller to the show for a good five, six years. I went my freshman year in Dallas at SMU. I couldn't hear Jim's show, but yet I would call in once a week. And I was Steve from Dallas. And then when I moved back to California, I became Steve from Loyola Marymount. I was a caller probably once a week to the show. Uh, made a name for myself, and I, be, I became, I mean, if there was one influence in radio, it was, without a doubt, 100%, it was Jim Rome, and I was just a huge fan of the show. I liked the style, I liked the way he talked about sports, and I liked the way he made fun of things, and just became a big fan of the show, became a, a known caller on the show, and I realized my once I got to college and more so when I got to LA in my sophomore year of college when I transferred into Loyola Marymount I knew that the only thing I ever wanted to do with my life was be a sports talk show host that's it that's all I cared about uh, I even you know once I was in my major of communications at Loyola I didn't care about any other classes that had nothing to do with my major I was so focused on being 
a sports talk show host that I didn't care about anything else in college. I really didn't. I uh, did not pay attention, did not apply myself really all that much. And essentially, I just focused on communications. But I wasn't a broadcasting major at Loyola. I had no, outside of calling the Jim Rome Show once a week, I had no radio experience. And it it, it got to a point where I didn't. I knew I wanted to be in radio, but I didn't know how to go about doing it. But I knew that's all I wanted to do with my life. And Loyola didn't offer me any sort of classes in terms of broadcasting. However, I did do the play-by-play for the basketball team my senior year. And I was the sports director at the radio station my senior year. But I knew that I didn't want to do that route of sports radio, which was calling basketball games or calling sports games. I wanted to be a talk show host. I wanted to be Jim Rome. I mean, I think anybody that maybe listened to me back in the day, I basically tried to sound like the guy. It was like Kobe trying to be like Michael. I was trying to imitate him all the time. And, you know, I look back on it now and it's kind of funny. Um, but, you know, as we get into it a little bit here, you'll you'll notice how, how things kind of changed. But so I get to a point where I, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be a sports talk show host. Senior year rolls around at Loyola, and I have to do a senior thesis, and I have no idea what I'm going to do it on. And I ended up figuring out, well, why don't I just do it on the Jim Rome show? It's such a daily part of my life. I woke up every morning, made, tried to schedule my classes, not to have classes between 9 and noon, because that's when his show was on. I used to listen to it pretty much every day, and parts I did miss, I would record. I mean, I'm talking about obsession here when it comes to the Jim Rome show. So I went to... I. I called up the Jim Rome show and I spoke to the producer and I said, Hey, I, I have a senior thesis due. the jungle, which was the name of Jim's show. The jungle is a huge part of my life. I, I might as well just do it on this because it's, it would make it easier for me, but I need to come up there probably three or four times during second semester of my senior year of college to interview you guys and put my paper together. So I did. And I went up there probably three or four times, did an interview, a sit down interview with Jim was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Uh, I interviewed the producer, interviewed the call screener, I interviewed the um, board operator. And so we're getting, I'm finishing up my senior thesis. It's around May of, this was be May of 1997. And I finish it up and I realize that I'm graduating in like two weeks and I have no job lined up in radio. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I've I've never worked at a radio station. The only radio I've ever done is play-by-play for the LMU basketball team, and I didn't want to do that. And I was a writer, uh, junior and senior year, I actually wrote a sports column for the school paper as well. But I wanted to get into radio, and I had nothing. So I made up a lie to say I had to go back and interview one thing because something didn't record right or whatever. So when I went back up there, I don't remember what I did, but basically at the end of that trip, I went to the producer and I said, hey, I, I'm graduating in a few weeks. I need, I'd need, i love to work in radio. If you, need, if you guys need me to fetch coffee, I'll do it. I don't care. I just need a job. And Jim liked my tenacity. Uh, he liked the way I interviewed them, and I was very thorough about doing a, my senior thesis on a sports talk show. And so that's what I ended up doing. Um, Jim called me back, I think, maybe a week later and said, we'd like to have you on board. We were kind of in the transition process of getting rid of somebody and we'd love to have you on board. And so I remember specifically, I graduated college in May 15th, the Saturday, May 15th of 1997. And I started working for the Jim Rome show on Monday, May 17th of 1997. And it was just, 
it was uh, it was eye opening to say the least because I wasn't ready for it. Um, but I was basically working for my idol, and I was working in market number two as a 21 year old little punk at a college, and I think it definitely helped. Uh, you know, it was kind of just. I mean, you. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Jim Rome's radio show back in 1997 was the show. I mean, there was not tons of sports talk stations with so many shows on. I mean, it was very minimal back then. And Jim was the biggest one, and he was syndicated, and he was heard in many different markets. And uh, arguably, I mean, it people can debate it, but arguably he had the best sports talk show and the most n- known sports talk show in 1997. So I got into that, got into radio, worked for Jim for about a year and a half, after a while, I just wasn't, my work wasn't up to snuff of what it should be. Um, it was almost like I got too comfortable and I was kind of itching to do my own thing. You know, with Jim, I was just kind of working behind the scenes. He put me on the air a couple times, but for the most part, I was at a point where I needed to get to a radio station and actually start doing some work on air. And so I, Jim and I parted ways and I was out of radio for about six months And then I got to a radio station in L.A. at the time called Fox Sports AM 1150. And I was kind of a gopher. I did engineering work. I did sports updates every 15 minutes. I would do weekend shows. I would do – I was hosting UCLA pre- and post-game show for football. And then I just did it for basketball. So I got into radio. And then my career hit a big, big roadblock uh, in March of 2002 – when I was fired from the radio station for a profanity-laced column on a paid website, which is kind of ironic now. But, yeah, in 2002, I was fired. Um, one of the hosts at our station, I was the uh, sports update guy from 3 to 7. There was an afternoon drive show from 3 to 7 with Arnie Spanier and Dave Smith. Dave Smith was a friend of mine who had a website, and he's like, hey, I want you to write for my website. It's a paid website in L.A., this is remember this is back in 2002 so websites even weren't a big deal and he charged $1 a month for people to read his website and I was the NBA basketball or I was the basketball writer and I wrote on Mondays and I would just write a basketball column at the time I was also hosting the UCLA basketball postgame show and um I was writing a column and because it was a paid website I just figured I could get away with anything and I was cursing up a storm in these columns and um it's really weird. I mean, it was just, I don't know what I was thinking, but you got to remember, this is 2002. I'm, uh, what am I, 27 at the time, and I just didn't know any better. I had no idea what I was doing, was writing that, and um, I got to a point where one day we came into work, uh, me and Dave were getting ready for our 3-7 to seven show, and I was basically help producing, but I was doing the sports updates, but there were a couple segments where they would bring me on and whatever, so we got there, whatever two o'clock or maybe it was one thirty, two o'clock and we get called into the the boss's office and they have our severance package ready to go and they say we've been notified of this website and steve what you're saying and dave you're allowing this and you guys are done and it was just i couldn't believe it and we were pretty upset and we kind of fought it for a little bit but basically they had every right to fire us i mean did i agree with it no i think we could have easily been suspended for two weeks without pay and been brought back because at the time of us being fired, Dave had 83 subscribers in a city of what? 8 million people and 83 subscribers paid a dollar a month to read my garbage that I was writing where I was cursing up a storm. So 
that basically ended my radio career in LA. I yes, I did end up at another station doing some again weekend work, halftime shows, and this this ended up going to U- USC's uh, flagship station at the time, which was fifteen forty AM KMPC. And I just, um, I was just not in a good place with all that was going on. I wanted to be, I got spoiled. I mean, let's face it. I was 21 years old working for the number one radio show in my first job in market number two. And then I got to an, a station in LA. So then I was on the air in market number two as probably a 23 year old. And of course my, uh, I got too big for my britches and I just, didn't want to go to another market. Could I have put together a resume tape and gone to, you know, Paducah, Idaho or something like that, or gone to, sorry, you know, don't mean to offend anybody in Paducah, Idaho, if that's even a city, but you know what I'm saying? Like I go to a smaller market and have my own show. I, I believe I could have, but I didn't want to, because I felt like I grew up in Southern California. I want to talk. The Lakers and the Dodgers have always been my favorite teams. I wanted to talk LA sports. I wanted to be an LA sports talk show host. That was my goal. And I didn't want to go anywhere else. And I fought it for a little bit, went to another station, did some more weekend work and fill in stuff, but never had my own show. And I just, it just kind of faded. And um, so in July of 2006, I went to go, I moved to Dallas, worked for my father. And he offered me a position to come work for him in uh, home bedding. We sold pillows, throws, blankets, comforters to uh, JCPenney, whose whose corporate headquarters are in Plano, Texas. And uh, so we were out here, and I did that. And all the while, I had started the Reality Steve website back in 2004. So that's basically my, my growing up point of what I wanted to do and when it started to transition. It started to transition in 2006, even though I had started reality Steve. So people come to me and ask me, I pretty much get asked this in every interview. If you've read any inter- any interview about me, you've heard this and you've heard it asked and you've probably heard this answer a thousand times, but this is the truth. I started writing an email to three of my friends about the Joe Millionaire show because it was, remember when Joe Millionaire came on, this was Fox. They were trying to be edgy. This is the first like shock reality show where they were basically going to trick people. They tricked 20 women into believing that Evan Marriott was going to be an heir to a prince or he was going to become a prince or something like that, whatever it was, whatever the storyline was, but that he was going to inherit $350 million or something like that when he really made 20 grand a year and lived in Newport Beach, which is kind of funny to look at now because I don't think that's even possible to make 20 grand a year and live in Newport Beach, California. But so I saw Fox promoting the show. And I was just like, this is fascinating. I got to watch it. So I started watching it and I just started writing about it. Same, you know, the same kind of recaps that you've been reading for years, just kind of snarky, fun stuff. And just like, I can't believe she wore this and she said this and all this stuff. So I started sending an email to three of my friends and they thought it was funny. And unbeknownst to me, they started forwarding it on to other people. And those people started forwarding on to other people. And I started getting emails saying, can I be on your Joe email, Joe millionaire email list? And I'm like, well, who are you? I don't even know who you are. And so I just started collecting names and it, you know, the three turned into 10, turned into 20, turned into 50. So every time I wrote an email, I had to CC, started CCing a bunch of people on it. So Joe millionaire ends and the, and people said, are you still going to write? I would love to keep reading your writing. 
And I was like, well, I don't, what's on next? You know, a dating show. And the next show to start was Trista's season of The Bachelorette. I had known about The Bachelor. There had been two Bachelor seasons. Um, the first guy, Alex, and the second guy, Aaron. I didn't watch either of those two seasons. I knew about it. I knew I saw it on TV, but I never watched it. So after Jill Millionaire ended, the next dating show, because I thought dating was the easiest thing to make fun of, because we all date, and we can. it's easy to judge these people on, on TV. So I decided to start writing uh, a column about The Bachelorette. And that's when it kind of got bigger in terms of more and more people started asking can I be on your bachelorette email list? So now I had a I had an email list up to about 350. I remember this specifically because I could only send it out 25 emails at a time. So I would have to send out my email to 25 people, cut and paste it, and I had um so 25 into th- into 100 is 4, into 300 is 12. Yeah, I sent out like 14 emails cuz I had 350 people on my email list. And I had to send it out 14 times every week. And after that season, I was just like, I need to create a website to where people can just go and look at all past columns. Because I started getting emails saying people were like, hey, I didn't sh- your email didn't show up or it ended up in my spam folder I didn't even know or my junk folder or whatever. So I was like, I need to start a website. So I just you know created Reality Steve. I mean, it never, I never thought anything of it other than, hey, I'm covering a reality show. My name is Steve. Let's go with Reality Steve. You know, real original there, I know. So basically, that's how it started. And uh, from 2000, whatever, three till 2009, all I did was recap The Bachelor and The Bachelorette every week. You know, there was no social media back then. There was no Facebook. Um, I obviously knew the show was taped in advance, but I had no idea about spoilers. I never heard thought once about spoilers. So then 2009 rolls around, and I'm three years into living in Dallas, and um uh, Jason's season had started airing in January of 2009. And I get a email one day from, uh, uh, from someone that knew that I wrote a bachelor column and did a recap and had somewhat of a following. And they tell me, Hey, I, I got some, I know you write a bachelor column. You might be interested in this. Here's what's, here's what I know and here's what happened at the end of, or not the end, but here's what's going on in Jason and Molly and Melissa love triangle. And it was basically that, Hey, they taped a secret after the final rose at the end of January. And Jason basically dumped Melissa and now he's dating Molly. And I'm like, Whoa, but I had never gotten a spoiler in my life. I had no idea what to do with it. So if you remember correctly, and granted, if you're if you're a longtime fan, you do remember. If you're new, you're hearing this for the first time. But basically for a month, all I did was tease it with these stupid clues. Uh, they weren't great, um, but it was basically to basically let everyone know, like, hey, I, I know this is what's happening. And once I give you the clues at the end of the season, you'll realize I, I did know what was happening. Kind of like a little bit what I did this season with Nick. And, uh, and telling you about the two final four girls. And I gave the two clues of, uh, what chicken parm, uh, for Vanessa because she was Italian. And, um, which one did I do for Corinne? I can't even remember what the stupid clue I gave out for Corinne was, but, but basically to let you know, like, Hey, I knew, I, I know what this is, but I, I don't, I can't give you the answer yet. So if I say nothing and then at the end say, Oh yeah, I knew that 
you know, people w- wouldn't believe me. So I'm giving them evidence that, yes, I did know uh, what happened with Jason and, and Molly and Melissa. But uh, essentially, so about two weeks before Jason, I, so I, I teased it for a month, and then two weeks before Jason's finale aired, I came out and said, here's what happens in the finale. It was already the after the, they ta- they went and taped a private after the final rose taping in front of no audience. Jason dumped Melissa and he's been dating Molly ever since. And people flipped out and a lot of people didn't believe me because they had no reason to believe me. I'd never had a spoiler in my life. Why would they believe me? And they it played out like that. Obviously, there was other some some other stuff that I uh, misreported, which I have absolutely 100 percent apologized for. Apologize to Jason to his face. Well, over the phone, at least. But. Uh, I did a whole retraction in my column about saying some other things. But the basis for the spoiler, which was after the final rose, already taped in front of no audience, Jason dumped Melissa, and he goes after Molly. That was the main spoiler of the season and ended up being right. So from there, uh, it just became this thing where, I, you know, I, when I when I reported that, a lot of the tabloids were like, Wow, well, this is getting out there. Um, you know, I remember Us Weekly had it, and People had it, and they were saying a lot of stuff about me. And um, it obviously put the site on the map because other sites, entertainment websites, and tabloid magazines were now quoting me in their magazines. When before, I just had my own Reality Steve site and had a you know little niche following. So the very next season. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna go through these pretty fast because we're just gonna go over the rights and the wrongs of the spoilers. So the history of spoilers started with Jason season in 2009. I got that ending right. The very next season was Jillian and I had nothing for that season. I had no spoilers on Jillian season at all. Um, so it was almost like I thought, well, I guess I just had Jason season, right? And I'm never going to get another spoiler again. After Jillian was Jake's. And I remember specifically the night of Jake's premiere, I got a phone call from somebody And it basically gave me the final four of Ali, Gia, Tenley, and Vienna. And he picks Vienna. And I gave it in that. And then the very next day, I gave it in that order. And that ended up being right. So we get Jason's right. We have nothing on Jillian. We go to Jake's season. And um, I had that ending right with Vienna. As for Ali, so Ali was the next season. And I know a lot of you remember. So I, I think in... It was about two or three weeks after her premiere aired that I said that Allie was single. And I went with Allie was single. Well, I, to break it down even further, I said, I know she doesn't piss, pick <laughs> I know she doesn't pick Chris Lambden. She's either with Roberto or she's single. That was what like I first reported right when like right around the first episode airing. And then it got to a point where I think later on in June, I was like, okay, yeah, I she is single. And that's what I ran with, that she was single. So, obviously, uh, as we got closer to the finale, I find out the day of the finale that Allie had chosen Roberto, about noon. And I put it up on the site, and the finale was, what, 8 o'clock that night. So, that was corrected, I guess, in time. Uh, the ending on that one. The next season was uh, Brad's second season, which we know for the longest time I had um, posted that uh, Brad was engaged to Chantal. And that was, I think, again, about two weeks before the finale, I had found out that that information was wrong. And we had gone, he was engaged to Emily the whole time. 
and I had just wrong information, and I put that out there, and I said, not only is Brad in, is engaged to Emily, because when you change it, it's just like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to wait for two weeks. But at the time, I, I knew that Brad was engaged to Emily because I had been given information that Chantal was now seeing a guy named Jeff Razor or what Razor, and um, who she's now married to. So I put that out there as well to hopefully make people believe that, hey, she's, I'm telling you, I'm not just being fed false information here in terms of Chantal and whatnot. And, um, and that ended up being the case. So, but that was corrected about two weeks before uh, Brad's finale. Then we move on to Ashley who obviously chose JP. I had that one, uh, right. Uh, Ben uh, was the next one. He chose Courtney. I had that one, right. Then we move on to Emily who chose Jeff. I think I didn't put out Emily and, and Jeff until I think July. So, I mean, it was about three or four weeks before her finale aired, but I had told everybody that, uh, Emily had chose chosen Jeff. Then we move on to Sean Lowe's season. I had told everybody that Sean uh, chose Catherine. And then we get to Desiree's season, and obviously longtime fans know that I was wrong about Desiree's season. She was um, all season I said she was with Brooks up until the final segment, even after Brooks wasn't even on the show. I was saying that, no, Brooks is going to show up. Don't worry. And he didn't. And that was flat out wrong. And it sucks that it was wrong, uh, but is what it is. It happens sometimes. But yeah, that was uh, a season where, you know, there was information given. And I've said this in interviews, I believe I got lazy and I did not follow up on stuff the way I do follow ups on stuff now. And essentially that's what happened. And I got lazy. The information I got, I thought was good enough, but looking back on it, it really wasn't because I didn't actually follow. I wasn't thorough with my follow up to the information I was given. Um, I didn't talk to them enough and I didn't talk to them in the proper channels that I should have. And I think if I did, I would have found out that she was with Chris because literally two days after the finale, I spoke with someone that was like, oh yeah, I knew they were with, I knew she was with Chris. I didn't know why you were reporting that. And I was like, well, gee, thanks. Why didn't you get to me before the finale? And, uh, so I had a little joke about that, but then we move on to JP season Juan Pablo. And, um, I had said, you know, not only did I say he had chosen Nikki, but I also said he did not get engaged. He's the only one in the last 17 seasons that did not get engaged at the end. Uh, then we move on to Andy, who, you know, um, chose Josh. I had put that out there that she chooses Josh. Then we go to Chris Souls, who chose Whitney. Had that one right. We get to Caitlin. Caitlin, I had um, said that she was not uh, with anybody, that she had dumped both Sean and Nick at the end. And obviously when she had her Snapchat snafu, that changed. And, um, but I, I mean, I, I say this now and you can go back to when I posted it and you can look at my tweets from that week, um, and, and stuff like that. But I had definitely, the funny thing was, uh, the Caitlin stuff and, you know, again, people can believe me or not, but, uh, the Wednesday before Caitlin's snap Snapchat snafu, which was on a Friday night. The Wednesday before that, I was told, Steve, you're wrong. You need to look into this because she's um, with Sean. Um, and I don't I don't know where you're hearing that she chose nobody, but I'm, she's with Sean. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to. I need to look into it. I obviously that I, it was pretty strong source that it came from, but. Obviously, it just was one time I heard it and I just didn't know if maybe someone was trying to pull one over on me. But then two days later, she Snapchats the. Uh, 
the video of her and Sean in bed, and it was just like, okay, well, I, I don't even need to go to anybody else. It's obvious she's with Sean. I had just heard it two days ago, and now I've got visual evidence of it. So, so I went with that, and that was like probably mid-June when that happened. So that was changed. And then we got Ben, who obviously I said chose um, uh, Lauren, and then last season with JoJo and, and Jordan, and now uh, Nick. Uh, this season I've given out the spoilers. So the way I look at it is this. I guess it's up to each individual person, each one of you listening out there to determine how many times I've been wrong about the ending of the show since I started spoiling. Four times. If you look at it overall, I was wrong four times. I was wrong on Allie's season. I was wrong on Brad's season. I was wrong on Desiree. And I was wrong on Caitlin in terms of who they chose at the end. However, three of those four were corrected before the finale aired. So if somebody was going to my site on the day of the finale for the first time on the season to see who they chose, they would have had the right person. The only one wrong would have been Desiree. So I leave it up to whoever else. It's tough to say, like, well, how many... And I get asked this in interviews. How many times have you been wrong about the ending? Well, it, it depends on your definition of the word wrong because it was initially wrong with Allie, Jake, and Caitlin, but... Uh, no, Allie, Brad, and Caitlin. But it was corrected in in plenty of time. So it's up to uh, each individual person to determine that. So the spoilers, like I said, have been a staple of the website. Um, I think people like the spoilers. I think it gives people a different way to watch the show. As I've always said, I do not spoil the show so you will not watch the show anymore. That's not my intention. Because if you don't watch the show anymore, ratings decline and probably my readership declines. That's not what I do, and I've said it a thousand times. I want people to watch the show differently because I think this is a you know, a very contrived, a very manipulated show, and the bottom line is I don't think, even though it's been on as long as it has, I think people have come to realize that this show is not about finding love and finding a spouse and being with somebody for the rest of your life. It's more about drama and entertainment, and I try to provide that by pointing out things in the show that maybe the average viewer does not see or does not understand what is really going on behind the scenes. And that's what I try to do with as many spoilers as I can, whether it's the ending and, you know, the last few seasons, at least probably 10 or so, I'm giving you episode by episode breakdown. So you know going into every episode kind of what to look for and like, oh, no wonder why she's getting this type of edit. She's going home in this episode or, you know, she's heading home soon. So you can just watch the show differently. And I think it's this is a show that you need to watch the show differently and not take everything so seriously because it's not a serious show and they don't take themselves too seriously. So that's basically the basis of about myself and about the spoilers and how they came to be and where I'm at. So the plan is to continue doing this, to continue spoiling the show. As long as this show is on the air, I'm assuming that every season I'm going to get spoilers this season, uh, no different. You know, I, I gave you your final four. I've given you the final four breakdown. I've, I've told you who Nick is with. And um, if you're asking, well, how sure are you? And, you know, well, you said you were so sure about Desiree. Or you said you were so sure about Kate. I mean, I, I, there's no way to answer that question anymore because anybody that wants me to be wrong is going to just keep going back to, well, you were wrong about Caitlin. Well, you were wrong about Desiree. Well, you were wrong about... Bra-. It's like, okay, well, you can keep thinking that, but... The bottom line is I haven't been wrong in the last three seasons in terms of, um, you know, JoJo, Ben, 
Um, I guess you consider, yeah, Caitlin was wrong. So two seasons, but Nick's, I'm telling you, um, very confident in Nick's season. I have nothing to worry about. I'm already starting to work on Bachelorette stuff um, in terms of contestants on that season. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not worried at all uh, about this spoiler being wrong. I think I have really good sources on this season, and you know that's all I can say. I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent. I'm not going to say it's a thousand percent because if I say it's a thousand percent, someone could say, well, why isn't it a million percent that you're confident? It's just there's no. There's no winning at this point in terms of level of confidence in my spoiler. I know that who Nick is engaged to, I gave it to you, and that's that. That's what's going to happen this season, and you just got to take it for what it is and go by my track record and uh, kind of believe that. So essentially, there we go. There's episode one, the first ever Reality Steve podcast. Just wanted to give you an introduction to myself, a little more background, a little more detailed than maybe what you've read in interviews, um, and just kind of go over the history of spoilers. So I just wanted to get that out there. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, Like I said, the podcasts are going to be a little bit different when we get to the season because we have stuff to cover every week. We are going to kind of mini recap the episode, uh, look ahead to the episode that's coming up. Uh, I will save a couple reader emails that don't make the reader email column and maybe even do one or two Dr. Reality Steve emails and try and keep these podcasts in the 30 to 45 minute range. We're at about the 37 minute mark of this one. So um, I appreciate you listening. Uh, it's been a long time coming. As you know, radio is my background. I really, sometimes I felt uncomfortable doing the live video chats just because it was weird sitting in a chair and looking into a camera and asking questions. I've never taken a TV course or hosting stuff, hosting classes, and I don't know. Uh, I like radio a lot better, and so here I am sitting at my desk in front of a microphone with a recorder and a mixer, and it feels a little more natural to me, to be honest with you, so... Thank you all for listening to the very first Reality Steve podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Reality Steve. Instagram, we can see a bunch of pictures of my niece and nephew because I'm not a big Instagram guy. Uh, that's Reality Steve as well. There's the Reality Steve fan page. You could just do a search on that on Facebook. Obviously, the website, realitysteve.com. As we get into January, we're back to the same schedule. Recaps on Tuesday, reader emails on Wednesday, Dr. Reality Steve on Thursday. And then when I release that Dr. Reality Steve column, the plan is that's when the podcast will go up. I'm probably going to record my podcasts on Wednesday night and have them up Thursday morning. That is the plan right now. And obviously things could change, but the plan is every Thursday during the season, there will be a podcast. And then probably twice a month, maybe there will be a bonus podcast, which is strictly an interview or something that I want to bring up or want to talk about. But again, thank you all for tuning in. Follow me at Reality Steve on Twitter, Reality Steve on Instagram, the Reality Steve fan page. I want to thank all the people who have read me for years. And if you're tuning in for the first time, hopefully you enjoyed a little background on me and kind of got to know me a little bit better. So again, appreciate you all tuning in and we will talk to you next time. Thanks a lot.